Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Happy New Year, everybody. My name is Pastor Greg, and I'm the associate pastor here at Heartland Free Church. It's great to see everybody here. I am uh, going to be preaching for Pastor Denny today. Pastor Denny is with his family in the Wisconsin Dells. In fact, at this very moment, he's probably sliding down a big, long water slide. Can you just picture that? (laughs) I hope he's having a ball. I told him, just don't throw your back out. We need you, Pastor Denny. So how are your New Year's resolutions going? Or is that a dirty word? (laughs) I kind of looked at making resolutions as well, you know, and um, I, I thought, you know, I'll look into maybe a little weight loss and diet and whatnot, and so I looked at this chart, and on this chart, according to my weight, I should be seven feet tall. <laughs> so I don't have a weight problem, it's a height problem. I just need to grow a little bit, right? No, actually, I am a little bit proud of myself. I'm going to boast a little bit here this morning because... I signed up for a six-week diet. And you know what? I finished that sucker in three and a half days. (laughs) I'm very proud of myself. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, we do have a message to deliver today, so we need to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And uh, Lord, just uh, thank you that we can come together. We can assemble and we can study your word together as a body of believers, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here, Lord. Speak through me. May these be your words and not mine. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, the title of today's sermon is, Have You Read Any Good Books Lately? Um, And, you know, that's more than just a little polite conversation starter, Um, but I will explain it in detail a little bit later on. Um, But the opening scripture, and God bless Jonas for reading all of that. He he literally preached my sermon for me today. (laughs) And God bless you all for standing that long. (laughs) But I I, I do believe, though, when when, uh, King Josiah read the book of the law, they stood for about six hours. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, so... Not so bad today, right? (laughs) But thank you, Jonas, for reading that. Um, But in the scripture, in 2 Kings 23, 1 through 25, where King Josiah read the book of the law to all the people after it had been discovered while they were doing repair work in the temple. And now just a tiny bit of background on King Josiah. Uh, He was only eight years old when he came to the throne. Imagine that, uh, becoming king at eight years old. I would need lots of advisors. (laughs) I think back to when I was eight, right? Um, He he became the 16th king of Judah, and he reigned from about 640 to 608 B.C. And he was one of the few kings that did right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, here's a very important detail about King Josiah uh, that we will find in 2 Chronicles 34, uh, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, 
he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the asherim and the carved and the metal images. Now compare, the, uh, compare that to the following verses, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now this is exactly what Josiah was doing. He sought after the Lord and the Lord began to open his eyes. And at this time, Josiah began purging Judah and Jerusalem of all of their idols. And there were many, as you, could, as you heard when Jonas read the words to us. So what happens next? Well, roughly 10 years later, the book of the law is rediscovered in the house of the Lord. And if we go to 2 Kings 22.8, we will read, And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Then we go to verses 10 and 11 and we read, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now what is up with that? King Josiah tore his clothes. Why ever would he do that? Well, the tearing of one's clothes is an ancient, it's an ancient tradition among the Jews, and it's associated with mourning, grief, and great loss. We see this in Genesis 37 when Jacob is told by his sons that his favorite son Joseph is torn apart by, and killed by wild animals. Jacob was so stricken with grief that he tore his garments. This is similar to how King Josiah felt when the book of the law was read to him. He was stricken with grief because he knew that the people had not been following what was written in the law and they had drifted very far away from the Lord their God. You see, God's word has the power to convict. The writer of Hebrews writes in, in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever felt convicted by God's word? I know I have. Now, after hearing God's word, Josiah was led to read it to all the people and make a covenant to the Lord as we read in verse 3. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. They all did this together. So he hears the word. He is convicted by the word. He reads it to the people. He makes a new covenant to the Lord on behalf of himself and the people. And what does he do next? He removes everything in the entire land that is not honoring to God, namely the idols. And he put a stop to all practices of idolatry. And in case you didn't know, God hates idolatry. So just what is idolatry? What is an idol? 
Well, simply put, an idol is anything more important that anything more important to you than God, right? It's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. You will never be fulfilled by an idol. So let's do a little recap. Josiah, as a young man, sought after the Lord. God led Josiah to his word. Josiah reads God's word and is convicted. Josiah makes a covenant with God on behalf of himself and all the people to follow God and keep his commandments. Josiah rids the entire land of idolatry. Imagine a land without idolatry. Now to me, this is one of the most powerful examples of what happens when we seek God by reading his word. Amazing things start to happen. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we take what King Josiah did so many years ago and apply it to our lives today? As believers, God's, wor God's word has the power to do many things in our lives. Today, we're just going to look at seven. I didn't say 70, I said seven, so it won't be that long. There are many things, but we're going to look at seven. And one of the things God's word, it has the power to reveal. Now in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, God reveals to us the true story of creation. So now, what, what does the secular community have as an explanation for the start of all life? Well, there was a big bang in the universe billions of years ago, somewhere in outer space. And from when that big bang, all life derives its origin. That is all. <laughs> okay, they've got a little bit more than that, right? But they, they don't have the real story. God tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 how he created the heavens and the earth and every living thing. How he created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I'm only counting two sexes there, right? I believe that's all that there is. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In a nutshell, that's the real story of creation. The word reveals the reason man is the way he is, because of sin. The word reveals the true nature of God. He's holy. The word reveals what happens to us after we die. Now, we as humans could study and speculate on these things for a thousand years and come up with all kinds of theories, like the Big Bang, right? But that's all they'd be, just theories, because no one could really know. God's Word, on the other hand, gives us an eyewitness, truthful, and, and detailed account of things about God and human existence that we could never know otherwise. God's word has the power to refute. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's word is a standard against which all philosophies, ideas, and proposed solutions for the human condition can be measured for accuracy. If God's word approves it, we can run with it. 
if God's word rejects it, nothing we can do will make it work or make it acceptable or make it right. But they certainly are trying, aren't they? For centuries, moral standards and spiritual ideas have been compared to the Bible in order to define and judge their value. Spiritual concepts, morality, and godly living are tested by searching the scriptures because God's word is the standard for comparison, not human ideas. God's word has the power to reproduce Luke 8, 11, Jesus said that the word of God was like a seed. He says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The analogy was that the word had the power to grow or cause growth to happen. The word planted in an honest and obedient heart, the good soil, can produce physical acts which can be seen and felt. God's word planted in human hearts Generation after generation has produced Christians and the New Testament church century after century. The only way Christianity has survived for 2,000 years is because of the reproductive powers contained in the word. The only actual thing we hand down from generation to generation is God's word, uh, which unfailingly produces... um, or, or, excuse me, is we, we hand down God's word contained in the Bible. People die and buildings fall apart, but his word unfailingly produces the same thing every century because Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So continually we're producing uh, more Christians who want to establish the church and produce the Bible, or excuse me, and spread the gospel, and that happens through God's word. God's word has the power to redirect. In 1 Peter 2.25, it says, For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Every complete life change Every turnaround that I've ever read or heard about has one common element, God's word. Someone began reading God's word. Someone started a Bible study with someone else. Someone heard a lesson or received encouragement based on God's word. Many people have improved or changed their lives in a significant way based on a simple desire to improve. However, only God's word has the power to completely transform and redirect one's life in a totally opposite direction and make it permanent. And I stand before you as a a living testimony to this truth. It was not until I started reading God's word that I saw the truth of the gospel and surrendered my own life to Christ. And I know the same is true for many of you here today as well. I know that firsthand. Romans 12, 2 says, for, or excuse me, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's word has the power to revive. Psalm 138, 7 says, the psalmist says, in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. The word of God is able to bring comfort and hope as well as strength 
and encouragement to those who are in sorrow and are suffering. We could not count how many times or how many people have gone to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd in times of trouble, and have been comforted by David's inspired words written almost 3,000 years ago, but, meaningful, but very meaningful for every generation. Whatever faith or faithfulness a person has, I have learned from experience that when they are at the point of death, the family expects and needs to hear words of encouragement that come only from God's word. It is interesting to note that hospital patients, grieving widows, and lonely shut-ins rarely request Darwin's theory of evolution or People magazine to be read to them in times of pain or sorrow. Amen? God's word is what they ask for and that's what they need. God's word has the power to reward. A Hebrews 11:6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The Bible tells us that the creation and our conscience are two different ways that we can use to find God. In fact, Romans, oh, excuse me, uh, Romans uh, two nine, or excuse me, Romans one nineteen and twenty says, "For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world." in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And yes, from creation itself, we can discern that an intelligent and powerful being designed and created this universe. And our conscience, conscience helps us to understand that this God, creator of humans, is a moral God, one who is pure and good, but there is, however, no comfort or joy in knowing God only in this way. It's simply an understanding of how we fit into the whole. The word, however, reveals who God is, what he desires, and what he is preparing to give those who believe in and obey him. The Hebrew writer says that God rewards those who look for him, and the way to look for God is to look for him in his word. The rewards for seeking him, for seeking him, are that we find the real him there in his word. We find what his will is there. We find a relationship with him there. We find salvation there. God's word is the bonding mechanism between himself and his people. God's word has the power to ready us. And I feel this is the most important thing we're going to be talking about today because God does ready us for everything through his word. Because Jesus said in Luke 12, 40, you too be ready for the son of man is coming and at an hour that you do not expect. Now, if Jesus said he's coming back, guess what? He's coming back. You can take that one to the bank. Now, the Bible says that we will all meet God in one way or another. Either we die before he comes and face him, or Jesus returns and we all face him. 
Either way, we must be ready. Ignorance and disbelief will not exempt us from the judgment that is coming. The Word of God is the only source of information that can help us prepare for this sure event in our lives. It has the power to do this because God in His Word shows us how to prepare for that great day in our lives. He explains how Jesus has redeemed us. The Bible explains that death and condemnation are caused by sin and how Jesus has redeemed or paid back our moral debt to God for sin by dying on the cross. This is the core message of the gospel. He calls us to receive Jesus. Our sin debt, or excuse me, our debt for sin is paid and our souls are saved from hell when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord by believing him in him as the Son of God. And that's good news, by the way. And this belief, this belief is expressed in repentance and baptism. Acts 2.37 and 38 says, and this is after Peter addressed the crowd at Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God encourages us, he encourages us to repent. His word is full of examples of those who received great blessings because of their humble obedience and repentance. The word tells us that true faith is demonstrated by sincere repentance. And Jesus describes this in Matthew 5, 8, when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word demands that we relive the cross. You see, we must die to ourselves and live our lives for Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The word readies us through regeneration. The word enables us to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit provides the strength and ability to live the Christian life faithfully and productively. The word is made alive in us through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The word, the word prepares us for our resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring, with you into, bring us with you into his presence. By announcing the resurrection, the word draws us closer to Christ. When we are in Christ, the word educates us concerning our own resurrection. Without the word, we would only speculate about life after death. The Bible actually prepares us for that life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
Only the word of God has the power to prepare us for a world we cannot see and hardly imagine, but one which is swiftly coming upon each and every one of us. Are you ready? So now let's go back to the title of the sermon. Have you read any good books lately? Or the question could be, what are you reading now? Or watching now, for that matter. So I'll ask you, is the book that you are reading inspired by God and 100% true? Is it sufficient for all of your spiritual needs? Does it guide you in marriage and family? Does it give you wisdom? Does it give you peace? Does it draw you closer to God? Does it equip you to share the gospel? Will it endure for all eternity? And does it lead you to eternal life? So I'll ask you again, have you read any good books lately? Unless you're in God's word, you're not getting nearly enough of what you need to live a spiritually fulfilling life. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of wonderful Christian books and self-help books out there, and I encourage you to continue reading them. Just make sure you check them out thoroughly against God's word. Now, last week, Pastor Danny challenged us to read Scripture just 12 minutes per day, and we could read through the entire Bible in one year. That's a great challenge, and I support that 100%. In fact, I support it so much so that I'm going to build upon it with another challenge. Lucky you, right? My challenge is this. For the next 30 days, read nothing but Scripture. Now, I know there are exceptions for this. You need to read things at work. You need to read things for school. You need to read operator's manuals and so on and so forth, and that's fine. But in your leisure, put down all other reading materials and focus on God's Word and God's Word alone. I guarantee you that wonderful things will begin to happen. I also want to mention that it's not about the quantity of Scripture that you read. It's the quality. And I, and I can relate to this. Uh, several years ago, my wife Brenda and I, we took a, a course called Growing Kids God's Way. It was taught by Martin and Joanne Quant, um, and they taught it in their home, and it was a wonderful parenting course. And I, I've got several takeaways from there, and one of the main ones was uh, about having couch time, they called it. And this was when mom and dad got together, probably on the couch in the living room, isolated from the kids, for you know, a certain amount of time, maybe a half hour or so, and sat down and talked to each other. Talked about what's going on in your lives, what, how was your day, all these things that parents can't always do when the kids are around, right? So this was that, that alone time that mom and dad had with each other. So I'm gonna encourage you to have that couch time with the Lord. Take that time, and uh, whether it's on your couch or in your prayer closet or wherever, wherever it is, Get alone with God. Give him your first and your best. Get that relationship going in a, in a greater way. And speak to the Lord through prayer, and he will speak to you through his word. And I want to hear from you about how that's going. It, it'll, it'll start amazing things happening in your life. So let me know how that couch time with the Lord is going, okay? 
And now before we go to prayer, I feel I need to warn us as a church. There are churches that are departing from the word, excuse me, they're, they're departing from the truth because they're departing from God's word. And they're falling. And we see that almost every day. They say they don't take the word literally, but they take it seriously. Well, that's just one step towards figuratively, which is one step toward apostasy. We need to stay in this word as a church, and we're foolish to think that that could not happen to us. When we fall away from God's word, we fall as a church. And we need to be on our knees. We need to be on our knees praying that that never happens to us. And it won't happen overnight. Satan's, one of Satan's number one tactics is subtlety. One little bit at a time. You move a little bit further from the word. You move, move a little bit further and all of a sudden you're out of the word. And then we're not a church because Christ will remove the lampstand from its place. And we will not exist as a church Psalm 119, 16 says, I delight in your, in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. That has to be our signature verse here, right? We cannot neglect his word. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, if, if this word keeps us from sin, we've got to cling to it, Right? Ephesians 6.17 calls this the sword of the Spirit. If we drop our sword, we're defenseless. We can't let that happen. We've got to keep our sword close to us, and we've got to keep it sharp. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us here together today, and I, and I thank you for the truth of your word. What a privilege it is to study it, what a privilege it is to, to speak from it, Lord, and uh, what a blessing it is in all of our lives, Father. And I just pray blessings over everyone here today. And, and if you're here or you're hearing this message, wherever you're at, and if you have not received Jesus Christ, as it says in his word, uh, I, I encourage you to do that today. The word says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can do that right here today. You can just cry out to Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I need you to come in and be the Lord of my life. And you follow him, and you will, you will not regret that for all eternity. So thank you, Lord. I, I, I just thank you for this, uh, for this congregation. Lord, strengthen us. Empower us to stay close to your word. Never depart from it. Not one jot, not one tittle, Lord, that we would stay in your word. Remain true to your word, and we will remain true to you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.